Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. So before we even have a decent head on our shoulders, this is the way we look at information and learning. We look at learning as, okay, what's the formula so I can run the maze? And this is so unconscious to us that we don't even realize that we're doing it. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In this four-part series, we'll reframe and expand our definition of learning. To start, we'll focus on the difference between learning to become something and learning knowledge in order to do something. Traditional schooling and education invites students to find a formula that works and then just regurgitate specific information at the appropriate times. So from a very young age, we're trained to look at learning through this formulaic lens where knowledge is collected and used at the prescribed times, but never actually embodied. I invite you to learn with an orientation toward embodiment, because by doing so, you'll find it easier to change and evolve who you are. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about the subject of uh, how to learn something and the nature of learning, the different kinds of learnings that there are, in particular related to the difference between learning something that has to do with becoming something versus learning a set of knowledge in order to do something. So where this comes from is uh, I got some feedback from someone secondhand, actually. Someone said that someone else said that the last course seemed unfocused in some ways. And I thought, wow, unfocused. It only took a moment of intuition to get that. Uh, and the person was wanting like more concrete management examples and like methodologies and like things to do. And in just a moment, I was like, oh, right. They wanted that kind of education. They wanted the here's five common employee problems and two methods each to solve it. And if, if this happens, then you do that. If this happens, then you do that. The way I teach is so much just the way I teach. I forget that that's the lens through which people are looking. And that's what school taught us, right? School teaches us you know, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, a, a two variable problem that looks like this, you use the quadratic formula or whatever, you know, when, you know, when 
Uh, F equals MA, force equals mass times acceleration. And so when you're dealing with, you know, solving this kind of problem, you use this formula to solve that problem. You know, I I remember vividly in um, ninth grade, I had a next door neighbor who was a couple years older than I was. And she said, Oh, you have, uh, you have Mrs. Roby for English class. Let me tell you how to write papers for her. And she went into the formula. She said, here's what you do. You read the book or the chapter or whatever, and then you collect the whatever she's talking about that month, vivid images, metonymy, metaphor, whatever it is. You collect all those, and then you write a paper and you make sure every three sentences you refer to one of those things. And it's, you know, it was formulaic. And I did that and I got an A in that class. And that was that, I think actually, you know what? I never realized it. Because I didn't do that great in grades-wise in middle school. But I think that was the turning point where I had this mentor just for a half an hour. And she didn't just show me the formula. She showed me that there was a formula. And I think in that moment, my eyes opened to, Oh, this is a kind of game. And you just have to figure out the rules and what they want. And it's not really about knowing things. Or being smart, it's just about figuring out what the game is, figuring out what the maze is, and going through it. I never realized that that was probably the moment. And so then I started to look at all of school through the lens of okay, what's the maze? What's the formula you're wanting me to use here? And then you just figure it out and use that. Oh, you know, I remember in college I took a sociology class and. In the discussion section, after we get all our grades back, you know, it's like a 180 person class. So there's these discussion sections where the TA hands back the papers and you go over the tests and you go over it. And everybody, you know, half the room was outraged because they did way poorly than they thought on the test. And as we dug into it, we found out it was because even though the essay questions didn't specify that you needed to refer to certain authors or papers or whatever, they were just kind of open-ended generic questions you know that invited your thoughts on the subject but the, but then the ta went on to say like well okay in, in number 2 if you didn't mention so and so's paper on blah 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 then you lost 5 points and people were like what <laughs> well, i mean can you imagine like what are your thoughts on the existence of god and you start talking about it and they're like, well, you didn't refer to the Bible, so you lose 10 points there. And you didn't refer to the Quran, so you lose 10 more points there. And you know, like that. Like, well, the question needs to say what the requirement. No, you're just somehow supposed to know. So that to me is one of the most extreme examples of these kind of formulas. And of course, in science and math, you generally won't get the answer right unless you can find the formula. Um, I had this one English professor in, uh, in college. I remember a, a friend of mine. Um, pulled me aside, said, Have you ever read any of this? Because all these professors were published. And she said, Have you ever read any of this professor's um, work on uh, Renaissance poetry? I said, No. She's like, Oh, you should go to the library and just sort of skim through a couple of his books because he's written books and articles and stuff. And he only ever really talks about this one thing about that the spirits, the, this idea of uh, romantic love being the, the souls of two people come out of their body and co mingle in the etheric realm. And, and so if you just, whatever you're reading, whatever Shakespeare play, whatever John Donne poem it was, whatever it is, you just look for that 
and then talk about that. And he'll just be totally thrilled because that was the essence of his work. That was the formula. And I got an A in every one of his classes. <laughs> okay. So, and to think of the narcissism of the teacher, right? Of the professor. It was just all he wanted to do was hear his own, you know, the, the ideas that got him published back from him, from students, not original stuff, etc. So if you look just about anywhere in school, this is what you find. The invitation to follow the formula and then the requirement thereof, the, the offering of the formula and then the requirement to follow it. And this is a, a deeper way of talking about the regurgitation of information because that, of course, is in there too. So before we even have a decent head on our shoulders, this is the way we look at information and learning. We look at learning as, okay, what's the formula so I can run the maze? And this is so unconscious to us that we don't even realize that we're doing it. But this is why people know all sorts of stuff and don't embody it. This is why every day people know that stealing, killing, whatever it is, is wrong, but they do it anyway. It's because the learning never got below their neck. It's not embodied. Now, certainly in the case of something like uh, killing, that's not a very good example. The heat of the moment, people can't manage their emotions. That's a different issue. But you know, stand uh, near the bulk section of uh, Whole Foods for a while and see how many people steal something out of the containers, right? That's theft, right? They know that's wrong, and there they are doing it. And then they tell themselves something in that moment of, oh, it's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. You know, people uh, who run those kinds of stores probably have to factor in a certain amount of loss into the people who are, uh, heard one store owner talk about grazing the bulk foods, bulk foods section. Because <laughs> I'm sure that's what it looks like. It looks like you fast motion video, you probably see people grazing at it. So the the summation uh, of of what I'm the distinction I'm talking about here is the difference between rather than learning something in a in a head way to do something, it's about feeling something in order to be something. Because when you learn something with an orientation toward embodiment. And I love that word because it's got the word body in it. It implies that there's a sensation happening below your neck. You're not just learning about something so that you can regurgitate it or pass a test about it or rest in the self-image of knowing something, but that you're learning the thing with the intention of becoming something, of being something different. You know, when you learn the quadratic formula, it doesn't change who you are. Mostly, I mean, probably there's you know one in ten thousand fall in love with it and feel it so deeply, the brilliance of it. They go, "Oh my god, I have to become an engineer," and they real, you know, that would be a being shift. Oh, this is me. You know, that's how I felt. I remember the moment when I started reading transcendental metaphysics when I was about twenty, and I just was in love. It just turned something on in me that was different. But most of the time, the way we learn is we're just learning it in a head way, in a knowing way, that's not a being way, and we don't allow it to change us. So what does that mean? What is it? How do you learn something in a way that 
allows you to be changed? Well, part of what that involves is the deconstructive path, not just a constructive one. So when you learn something that challenges an existing point of view that you have, you engage in whatever happens there. You feel what's going on. You know, if somebody tells you the the world is round and here's my proof of it, and you think the world is flat and you have had that image your whole life, that idea, that worldview, then when someone tells you the world is round, it's going to be an emotional experience. Something's going to happen. It's it's threatening your existing worldview, a long-held belief. And you're going to be like, whoa, what? How could that be? The, it changes the way you've... I mean, in one way, it's like, it doesn't really change anything unless you're, I don't know, an airline pilot or a ship's captain. I mean, it doesn't really... Doesn't really change your day to day orientation, but let's look at, for example, the uh, the backfire effect. There's a really good example. So the backfire effect is the tendency for people to defend their beliefs vigorously when they're given data that doesn't that contradicts it. So a famous study done, I think it was University of Minnesota, I believe, in 2005 or six where they took Democrats and Republicans and exposed the Democrats to factual information that eroded the integrity of their party, and the same with Republicans and their party. And what they found is about 80 or so percent of the time, the result was the people were more committed to their party. Not the same and not less. They doubled down on their beliefs. That's the backfire effect. Now, this defies logic, right? You would expect in such an experiment that it would either erode their belief in their party a little bit or it'd be the same. You would not expect that they would have a stronger belief that their political views are right or that their party is good. You wouldn't expect that. So what explains that? Exactly what I'm talking about here. It's that they, the, the filter through which they took that information was not an embodiment filter. They're not looking at information at, as uh, how can I allow this to change me and my point of view. If you tell someone that the Magna Carta was signed in 1215, that doesn't threaten their self-image, their political beliefs, their, doesn't have much to do with them on a personal level. But the closer you get to giving them information that actually might call for them to change, like in religion and politics, or money, or economics, things that hit people where they live, that they have a wall up. It's the wall around their self-image. And that wall is, I need to keep things the same because I need to keep stability here. I need to know who I am from day to day to day and have tomorrow be a lot like today because I'm scared of change. And so if I'm going to take in that information, it's going to be only at the head level and I'm not going to allow it to actually change me. Because the fact of the matter is, in such an experiment, it probably would have made sense for some of those Democrats to become Republicans and some of those Republicans to become Democrats. Or at the very least, get curious and do more research and be like, wow, I had no idea I had this picture of my party as being X, Y, and Z. And what you're telling me is causing me to re-examine everything. And you know, come to think of it, the only reason I'm a Democrat 
when I think about it really is because my parents were. And so, and this happened and this happened and I need to really relook at everything. Who does that? Right? But if you really take in new information that challenges your existing beliefs, that's where it takes you. That's where it takes you. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.